Amen. Well, you can grab a seat. Good morning. My name is Ben, one of the pastors here. And today we're going to be in a lot of places, but we're going to be a lot in Ezekiel chapters 47 and 48. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn or tap your way to Ezekiel 47, 48. Uh, if not, never been to Ezekiel before, please don't panic. We'll have those words on the screen. We'd love to gift you a copy of the scriptures and a modern English translation on your way out. And as you're tapping, I just want to make you aware of something. It's a little unique that we're doing. We're going to present a three uh, sort of session study to help with a, a thing called perfectionism. Uh, and I think you know what that is, but what we mean by it, or the kind of technical understanding of it, is just having really, really impossibly high standards and then having really, really difficult, sort of, of a difficult time dealing with when you don't meet those standards. So, do you have super high standards? Are you always upset because you're failing those standards? You might be a perfectionist, and we would love to help you with that. So we're going to do a three sort of special, you know, uh, training nights on perfectionism as part of my studies and my program that I'm in. But um, it's going to be really interesting, and I think it'll be really, really helpful. So I'd encourage you to think about whether or not you could be a part of that. Uh, and I'm going to be asking people to be a part of it. I, I think it'll be really helpful both ways. But if you, uh, if you can, you can go to our website and you can register. There's a lot of information there. Uh, or just let me know if you're interested and I'll get you that information. So, we are going to finish today our series on Lost and Found. And, and as we finish the series, and, and really we're not, you know, we're not too concerned about what is a series, what isn't, what, what's the content of the sermons from Hope Church. Our, our concern is the scriptures and the gospel which is really the heart of what this series is all about, is the heart of the, the scriptures. So we're not going to be done talking about this, but the, the series that we're in is going to be finishing. And, and the way that we're going to finish it, I think, um, what I think will be most helpful is to try and bridge a gap that's in the content that we've been going through. I want us to bridge this gap because I, I think there's a difference between saying yes to being found by the Lord, and then living in that hope until you're actually found by the Lord. I'll explain what I mean by that in a second, but as we're talking about it, the, the book that we're going through in our community groups is called Prodigal God. It's an excellent little book. We would really, really encourage you to read it, even if you're not in the community groups, but um, I think it's kind of wild. So this will be our last sermon on this series, and on Friday, the guy that wrote uh, that book prodigal God, uh, Tim Keller, passed away, uh, died, yeah. Um, and, uh, I, and I know that's affecting for people that have read some of his stuff. You know, we quote from him a lot here. He's written a lot of stuff that's just extremely helpful with the way that he has, uh, his understanding of the gospel meet his understanding of culture. And I, I, I just think a lot of times he's right on the money with how he does that. And so we read him a lot. We think about him a lot. It's a blow that he, he passed away. But God does all things for his glory. And precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. He, he used Tim, Dr. Keller's, platform to preach a gospel message that was incredibly compelling and to live a gospel message that's extremely helpful. I, I think it helps us to see hope in a way that we really need. 
And if we're going to finish this series out, I, I want to finish it out by again reviewing the gospel, making you say yes to it. But I, I want to finish it out in a way that, that takes that gospel message and applies it in your life so that you have deep and abiding hope. Here's how I see this. It says in Luke 15, so our, our sermon series has been really based on some of Jesus' teaching about the gospel. And he tells this story about two sons. The one leaves the father to go after all these other pleasures. He runs out of those pleasures. He finds that they're nothing. In that nothing, he decides, man, maybe I could go back to my dad and at least just have food. I, I won't be accepted as a son again, but maybe. So he comes back while he's still a long way off. The father runs and grabs him. And the son starts trying to propose this plan of working his way back into the father's favor. But he doesn't even let him get it out. The father just immediately starts screaming out that he wants to throw the big feast. He wants to kill the fatted calf. He wants to put the best robe on this boy and put the ring back on his finger. They're going to celebrate. And they're going to get everybody to celebrate because my son that was lost is found. Now, when you read that, and we've been talking about this a lot, but when you read that, I hope you experience something of the desire for that. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you believe. If you're a Christian, I hope you understand it at a, a deep level in your head, but also at a deep level in your heart that is part of your experience. But if you're just trying to understand Christianity, you can still understand what it would be like to be seen in your shame and in your shame to be accepted. In your, in your shame to be wrapped up. And then celebrated. What would that do? What would that kind of love do to you? Whether you've accepted it or not, I hope you see the appeal. But for those of us that have accepted it, there's an interesting sort of a gap that we're in right now. This is what it says in Luke 15. It says, The father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, and put the ring on his hand, put the shoes on his feet, bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat it and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive. Again, he was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. In this story, the return, the acceptance, and the celebration happened in like 12 minutes. In the Christian walk, your understanding of the gospel happens whenever it happens. And then you've got however long you live from then until you finally get to be with the Lord face to face. The wedding feast of the Lamb is a not yet. We use this phrase a lot when we talk about things in Scripture. We say already, but not yet. It's helpful. It's clunky, but it's helpful. And it's helpful because the Bible says things are true already. But they're not yet what they will be. You can know the Lord now. You can experience this kind of connection with the Lord now, where you understand the gospel, that He receives you in your shame. That He died to pay for it. He's a holy God. He's not just going to sweep it under a rug. He's not going to become a conspirator with you in hiding it. He's going to pay for it, and he's going to accept you in it. He's going to love you through it. You can experience that now. Already. But not yet are you at the table, at the wedding feast of the Lamb, standing with the great multitude, covered in that white robe, before the crystal throne of the Lord, screaming out, singing out about the glory of the Lamb. 
Already true, but not, mm, not yet true. Already true, but in the meantime, there is still a lot of weeping that's going to take place. And we've got to understand this gospel message to the point that we actually connect with the hope that's there. And, and Tim Keller, um, bless him, he was able to be an example for us in that. The Lord gave him a couple of bouts with cancer. So he, he died on Friday of a, a pancreatic cancer, but he had a thyroid cancer about 20 years ago. And it was possible that that would have ended his life. And he wrote about the morning of that surgery, and it's a lengthy quote, but stay with me. He says, on the morning of my surgery, after I said my goodbyes to my wife and sons, you can imagine what that would have felt like, I was wheeled into a room to be prepped. And in the moments before they gave me the anesthetic, I prayed. To my surprise, I got a sudden, clear, new perspective on everything. It seemed to me that the universe was an enormous realm of joy, mirth, and high beauty. Of course it was. Didn't the dragon god make it to be filled with his own boundless joy, wisdom, love, and delight? And within this great globe of glory, there was only one little speck of darkness, which was our world. And where there was temporarily pain and suffering, but it was only one speck. And soon that speck would fade away and everything would be light. And I thought, it doesn't really matter how my surgery goes. Everything will be all right. Me, my wife, my children, my church. It's all going to be all right. And I went to sleep with a bright peace on my heart. That's what I want. That's what I want for you. I want you to experience an awe so profound that your heart can't let it go. That when your circumstances make that awe seem unlikely, still, you long for it. And you're longing, you remember things that are true that allow you to actually hope for it and experience some of the peace of that hope in the middle of your suffering. Good pastors are supposed to prep people for suffering because you're either suffering or you're about to. That's just statistics. You know what we say? So if we're going to understand this hope, we've got to understand something of that awe and being captured by it, being brought into it, experience what it is to be that kind of a, a hopeful person, a person that can, can face a lot of difficulty. Yeah, I, I'm such a weenie when it comes to movies. I, I don't really want to watch anything that's going to make me sad. So, like, we, Rachel and I, we basically only watch happy ending type stuff. It's got to be 20 minutes. I got to know that everybody's going to be okay again at the end of the episode. Uh, I got enough stress in my world. I don't need it in my, you know, entertainment. And, and I get it. I, I don't know if you do. I, I, I feel that, and I'm not really too ashamed of it. I, I want to know there's going to be a happy ending if I'm going to sit through this thing. I need hope. If I'm going to get through that first act moment where something breaks. You need hope if you're going to keep fighting. NBA Finals going on right now. You watch as these teams and they're smart enough and the series are long enough that you don't really see it in the same way you do in like a, um, you know, like a play-in kind of one-and-done kind of a game. But you watch as people still have hope. The coaches are still able to do the math on how many possessions are possible and what amount of time and how many you could score in that amount of time. And so the people are, are fighting like crazy. And, and on the outside, you're looking at it and you're going, I don't know if they're going to be able to do this. 
But with basketball, it's clear. You can see when it happens. You can watch when the team decides that there's no more hope. They stop fouling. They just let the other team dribble. They put the scrubs in. Like, you watch as the hope dies. You know, you experience that when you're hiking. You know, you hang out with somebody that's, like, from Utah. It's a very different experience hiking than when you just go with your kids and follow, like, an all-trails app. You go with somebody, and they're going to take you to, like, a summit or something. It's awful. But you can just keep trusting what they're saying. Like, no, 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 it's almost there. It's almost there and almost there. And they're lying. They're lying. But they're giving you hope because they do know that you can get there. And that when you do, it'll be worth it. And they're right. Hope is an incredibly powerful thing. I just want to understand how we get it. I want to understand how we feel it. And the one that I want to kind of use to to get there... um, I want to keep preaching the gospel to you, but I want to preach it from all of Scripture, and I want to preach it in a way that I hope will be visual, uh, maybe a little bit more uh, tactile. And it says in Romans 15, it says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And, And so I want to get there. Last week we talked about exile. We talked about the exile of Adam and Eve from the garden. We talked about the exile of all of Israel from the promised land. And that guy, Ezekiel, he was a a priest, meaning that it was going to be his job to be one of the priests. You do that when you're 30. And so he he hits 30. He's ready to become a priest. And at that day, when he's turning 30, the Babylonians come and he gets taken into captivity. And he goes from being a priest, or almost a priest, to being a prophet. God gives him visions to speak to the people of Israel. And it was Ezekiel's burden to have the vision where God's glory, his presence, leaves the temple in Jerusalem. But it was also his joy to have the vision where he sees God's joy, uh, God's presence return to Jerusalem. He experiences the gospel. He experiences the exile and he experiences the return. I want to help you today. I want to think with him and us about that return. I want to think about what he says. He, he finishes Ezekiel 48. He says, And the name of the city from that time on shall be, The Lord is there. That's what I want us to connect to. Now, you, you may not have a great understanding of like temple, Old Testament, sacrificial, Mosaic law. You don't have to. There's some basics that will allow you to jump into this imaginatively. What he does is he says, no, 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 there is going to be a reestablishing of God's house with God's people, of God's presence with God's people. And when that is describing, he's saying there's going to be the hug. The son comes back and the father grabs him. There's going to be the feast where they come together and they kill something fatty and they cook it up and they eat it and they celebrate where all the sights and the sounds and the smells match the emotional temperature of that room. The father is overjoyed. The son is blown away. And everything in that room is trying to match that level. That's what he's describing here. He's describing the Lord coming back. That's, that's the hope that we have. But I think one of the problems is, is whether or not we're at, allowed to have that hope. You can say it, and of course, Ezekiel, man, he's super impressive. He was like a prophet and a priest, and he had hard things that he endured well. Yeah, sure. You've got the younger son in the parable, and that's a little bit more helpful because you say, okay, well, maybe I haven't done all the things that God did. I've done a lot of them, and God forgave him. Maybe God can 
forgive me, but, but that's a story in Scripture, yeah. And I think the enemy is always doing this. The accusation that he makes to the saints is, yeah, but not you. Yeah, yeah, gospel and hope, that's all, yeah, Jesus, but not for you, though. And as soon as that happens, your hope gets undercut. We need to understand that you do have access to that party. You do have access to that feast. That's what the temple represented. It represented God's presence among the people, but it also represented a process, a a means of cleansing that people. It's really important that you understand this. The the temple that that, uh, Solomon built was actually built on the same spot, Mount Moriah, where Abraham was, was called to take Isaac and sacrifice him. In the Old Testament, the guy that God used to establish the people of Israel was commanded to take the son of promise and to kill him. That his blood would be shed for that family, for that people. If you know the story, God stops him at the last minute. No human sacrifice. God stops him at the last minute. Says, okay, I get it. You, you, You have faith. You trust me. You really do. And they find a ram and they kill that ram instead. An animal's blood. For the sin of Abraham and Isaac. For the sin of the people, a cleansing that takes place. Fast forward to the time of David. This is the king right before Solomon, the one who is going to build the temple. And David angers the Lord with a census. He counts up all the people instead of just trusting God that he's got this amazing thing. He wants to understand it. He wants to try and bring it under his roof rather than having it be God's and for God's glory. And God allows this punishment to come. This angel of judgment comes. And the point, the very spot, God opens David's eyes. He's able to see the very spot where the angel stops and God's judgment stops and his mercy starts. That, that transition that takes place in the, the, the property of this guy named Ornan. And David comes and he buys the property. He builds an altar there. and they, That's where they build the temple. God's been saying it over and over through scripture. This place, this thing, where this sacrifice takes place... It's the place where dirty people are made clean. It's the place where people who are really broken get put back together. You need the gospel because the only way to have this hope, the only way to know that you might be invited into that feast one day is to know that you've been forgiven, that you've been made clean. How can you know that? Well, you can know that by seeing what God has done Through Jesus, the temple is the picture. Jesus is the actual answer. It says in Hebrews 9, and Hebrews is such a good place to go if you want to understand how the Old Testament becomes the New Testament. But Hebrews chapter 9 says, When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. He's saying that we don't have temples anymore. You you don't go to a temple now because God has made a, a way for his presence to go anywhere and be with anyone who receives this sacrifice that Jesus did for you. You're not going to be clean by the way that you act. You're going to be clean by God in His grace giving you the sacrifice of Jesus. Giving you the righteousness of Jesus. In that way, you you become something different. You become something totally new. It says in Psalm 51.7, So David, that king, 
the one whose son built the temple and the one who had the sacrifice for his sin helped determine the exact location of that temple that was to be built. He did an awful thing. Not just the census, but he, he killed a guy and had his wife, took his wife from him. And when he's convicted by that and, and tries to repent to God for it, he, he produces this psalm, Psalm 51. And in the psalm, he says several things that are very similar to this. But he says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Do you see the process? He says, you purge me and I'll be clean. You, you wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. He doesn't say, I come to you and ask and you write out a growth plan. You write out some progress notes that you want to see me hit and we'll come back and evaluate after six months. Murdered anybody else? How's Bathsheba doing? Let's see where you're at. And then maybe we'll see what the next step is for you. Oh, David's not involved. He, he comes to the Lord and then from that point, the Lord takes over. He's the one that purges. He's the one that cleans. Where's the weak point in this plan? You've got to know this. You've got to see this if you're going to actually experience what hope is. Because as soon as you get that doubt in there about whether or not that hope is for you, I mean, yeah, maybe it exists, but is it for you? As soon as you have that doubt, it goes away. You've got to be able to believe that you really can be accepted, forgiven, cleansed. As soon as you think that it's going to be by something that you do, you're done because you'll know that's not possible. But if you will keep your eyes on the fact that it's the Lord that cleans his people, it's the Lord that makes you new. You don't have to do, you just receive because of what he has done. I don't have to know everything. I know one thing, and that one thing is Jesus. I can't do anything. I just trust what has been done by Jesus. So the first step is, can you be cleansed? Yeah, that's what that temple represents. It represents the way in which God was going to cleanse us. So if you're going to have hope, you've got to trust that the Lord can cleanse you. If you're going to have hope, you also need to want it. I think we live in the age of distraction. How hard is it not to look at your phone? I understand that currently 15% of you are looking at your phones. How hard is it not to look at your phone every minute of every day? Wait in line and see how long it takes you to pull out your phone. Any line. It's hard to even find a line anymore because we're so uh, antithetical to like anything patience related. But, but if you have to wait for anything, how quickly do you pop that phone out? It's so easy to do. Why wouldn't you? I, I can't do commercials anymore. Commercials play and I've got to pull out my phone. If I can, I've got to get out of that app and go to a different one. I, I, a two-minute YouTube video can be my entertainment while I wait on the two minutes of commercial for the thing to come back on. It's impossible to wait anymore. If we are going to have to have uh, the, the hope that the Lord gives, we've got to actually want it. We've got to wake up from the, the pleasures and the distractions to understand the, the need and then understand the beauty. I, I don't know, um, I'm hoping that this really lands for you. It's in scripture, and so I want to use it. But in Ezekiel's vision, 
you know, it's one thing to just tell you that God's good and talk about a feast. And I, I hope that as we've done that, it's been helpful to you. But Ezekiel has a very specific thing happen in his vision. God gives him very specific, lengthy details about the way the new temple is going to be constructed. He then gives extensive details, lengthy details about where the different tribes are going to be situated around this new temple. And you and I might not get a lot out of that, but Ezekiel did because he knew that it was God saying what was actually going to happen. And then in chapter 47, so right at the very end, he watches. And the Lord shows him in this new temple water that flows out from the temple. So the temple's not a spring. The temple's a building. A lot of things happen in it, but it's not like a it's not a place that produces water. And yet, the Lord gave this vision to Ezekiel where water starts trickling out of the temple. And it starts as a trickle. It starts really light and small. But the angel that's with him measures all these stadia out and they, they walk. And then now it's ankle deep. It's growing. It's getting bigger. They go even further. Now it's waist deep. They go any further and now you can't even swim across it. It's this massive river. And the water of this river is very specific. It's fresh water, but it's fresh water that when it impacts salt water, makes the salt water fresh water. It's a, a water that goes out into the world and begins to make that world totally new. It, it refreshes. He says in, in verse 8, he said to me, This water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. And when the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. Fresh water you can drink. You're in a desert and you have salt water, you're still in a desert. You have fresh water, and now you got options. Go out to your great salt lake. You ever have friends come visit you in Salt Lake, and they want to go see the salt lake, and you go, ah, I don't know, why don't we go to the mountains? Like, the salt lake, there's not much there. There's biting flies, and there's brine shrimp. That's what's at the great salt lake, so go have fun. But there's nothing there. Why? Because it's dead. The people of Israel would have gotten that too. They lived and fished up in the Sea of Galilee where it's fresh. They don't go fish in the Dead Sea. You know why? It's in the name. <laughs> it's dead. But the fresh water that's pouring out of the temple is a water that does provide life, that does impact things that are dead and make those dead things alive. It says in 9 and 10, it produces. It says wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be very many fish. For this water goes there, and the waters of the sea may become fresh, so that everyone, uh, everywhere the, every, so everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea, from Engedi to Engalim. Say it how you like. It will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. It provides, and it provides things delightful and healing. Verse 12. On the banks on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail. But there will be fresh fruit every month, because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food, and their leaves for healing. He's describing the world where everything's made right, y'all. He's describing the place where there is what we need. This world just doesn't seem really fit for life. But this world will be. This world is what God is he's promising for us, is, is the kind of glory, the kind of thing that should awe you, as Keller was awed by the things that he thought right before he goes into this surgery. That God, the trying God, who makes all things to, to fill with his own mirth, his own delight, his own glory, 
is going to eventually infiltrate this little dark speck in his universe. What he describes there is so lovely. I I hope that you start to desire it and desire it more than all this distraction that the world gives us. Now, if if this temple is cleansing, if, if this vision is attractive, it also has to have your true love in it. That's, that's what Ezekiel puts all together, and that's what Revelation puts all together, is that it's not just the party. It's not just the river. It's the Lord. That's why the name of the place becomes the Lord is there. The younger son can enjoy the feast, but he needs the father. Like, he took money from the family and went to a faraway country and had a feast. That's not the promise. What he got, the big concluding moment, is that he gets both the feast and the Father. What you and I need, if we think about what our hope is going to be, our hope isn't just for all things made well, and our hope isn't just for things that are broken to be healed. Our hope is to be with him again. So here's our last little Keller quote. So the last one was before he goes into surgery some 20 years ago. The the one from today is, is one that he prayed as he was going from the hospital to hospice, this is as he's about to pass. He prayed, I'm thankful for all the people who've prayed for me over the years. I'm thankful for my family that loves me. I'm thankful for the time that God has given me, but I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Send me home. Your hope must be founded in that desire. It's not about being awesome. It's not about being made glorious, even though there's a whole theme of that in Scripture. It's not about having everything healed, and it's not about just the physical pleasures, even though there's all kinds of talk about that in Scripture. The point of it all is Revelation 22, 1 and 3. It puts all this together. It says, the angel showed me the river of the water of life. We're not in the Old Testament anymore. We're in the New. We're not even in the New anymore. We're in the New, John the, ba- or John the Apostle, talking about what will be. He says, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city also. On either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. Amen. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. There's river, there's healing, there's beauty, it's everlasting. But the crowning description is that the throne of God and of the Lamb are there. And the servants are with him, worshiping him forever. Listen, that is a sure thing. He's promised it's coming. It's coming for all those that believe. You can't mess this up. (laughs) You accept Jesus and you can't mess it up. You can mess a lot of things up, but you can't mess this up. He's promised and he's promised in a way that's sure. Brothers and sisters, if you, if you can desire this, if you can believe this, then you can start to experience a hope. And it's a hope that, that motivates you. A hope that motivates you to endure. Last verse, Hebrews 12. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, I mean, Dr. Keller now is one of those witnesses, one of these dead that is proclaimed throughout his life and in his death, the glory of Christ. 
Let us also lay aside every weight, every sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Lord and Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that you would bless us with a deep understanding of the goodness you've given us through Jesus. Lord, we want to be a people who actually hope. I don't know how often we tap into that desire. I don't know how often we experience that comfort of real hope for what you promised through the gospel. Honestly, I think a lot of people don't really do that too often. We try to get that figured out quickly when we start to suffer, but Lord, you've given us that hope daily. You've given us that hope to build our heart's desire for you. You've given us that hope to make heaven start to infiltrate our lives now, Lord, that 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 water will start to trickle even now in our hearts. And for those that will understand the gospel, those that will believe it and live it and love it and invest their hearts in it as well as their heads and their hands, Lord, they're going to watch as that water that's always there begins to grow. And their life becomes filled more and more with the glory of the beauty of the Lord, such that maybe we even become kind of like Dr. Tim, who can look at death in the eye and say, okay, I'm ready to see Jesus. Lord, make us, make us an enduring and hopeful people for your glory and our good. We pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen.